Welcome to the Oral Surgery Fight Club podcast. This is a collection of mock cases in the field of oral and maxillofacial surgery in a question and answer format conducted on Zoom. Enjoy. Let's see. I got a interesting case today. A couple of them. There we go. Oh, Greg, you're right. Yeah. Wait, whoever was supposed to be the examinee dipped and then case two, the examiner dipped. I'm always right, Ryan. <laughs> Just like my wife, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Interesting. All right. Well, let's do this. Um, okay. Can you guys see the screen all right? We could do yes. free, we could do a free for all. I, I think that's probably the better way to do it. As Greg is right. Wish I had a buzzer. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So this one's actually interesting. Um, so we have a nine-year-old male with multiple carious teeth. His past medical history includes Down syndrome and obesity. What would you like to know? He's obviously this is uh, going to be based more on the medicine and the anesthesia part. Uh, I can take this one. Yeah. Okay. I feel like this one doesn't really require much looking at the screen. Um, okay. So nine-year-old male, who um, has Down syndrome, obesity. So I would start out by um, getting a full medical history on the patient. Um, I would ask specifically for any, if the patient has any cardiac issues, if they have any history of uh, snoring or any, um, just because Down syndrome patients typically have a predisposition to OSA. Um, And then I would ask about uh, specifically like, um, what do you call it? Uh, Like, get into the details of what's going on with the teeth. Are they bothering them? Do yeah, the, history of infections. I um, understand. So uh, the teeth are bothering him. He's got like four teeth that he uh, keeps wiggling out uh, as per his mother. He, he just keeps wiggling with them and, and wiggling them and messing with them. Um, what is Down syndrome? Um, so Down syndrome is um, basically, uh, it's interestingly 21, so it's a translocation at the 21st chromosome that results in essentially uh, three chromosomes uh, of 21, or yeah. Sure. So um, what does it result in uh, facial feature-wise and behavior-wise? Yeah, so behaviorally, they tend to have um, intellectual disabilities uh, and developmental delays, um, and then uh, in terms of their facial features, um, they uh, tend to have uh, kind of like a flat facies, uh, class three uh, malocclusion or maxillary apoplasia, prognathism, large tongue. Um, they ha- tend to have, I believe it's hypertelorism, um, kind of like down, no, upward slanting eyes. I'm trying to th- picture, I have a picture of a down patient, but anyway. Um, the anti-bromoid slant. Yeah, that's it. That's the one. And then uh, a flat bridge of the nose. I'm not laughing at Down syndrome. <laughs> I'm just laughing at the word that somebody and, said. And anyway. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, what uh, would you like to... Um, I'm sorry. What are the different classes of obesity? 
my have to pass on this one. Pass. What's, what's uh, the difference between regular obesity and morbid obesity? Ah, okay. Um, so regular obesity, typically these patients have a BMI of between uh, 30 and 35 uh, versus uh, morbid obesity is any, anyone with a BMI over 35. Uh, BMI is a um, indicator or a uh, index, I guess, um, that's dependent on height and weight of the patient. I understand. So how would you evaluate this patient? Um, uh, he, he needs four teeth out. Um, how would you evaluate this patient for anesthesia? So I would um, start first by listening to heart sounds, lung sounds. Um, and then I would uh, uh, essentially kind of do a top-down approach. Um, look intraorally, look at his mouth body score, look at his... Um, so you get to his mound body score and it looks something like this. Okay. Um, to me, that looks like a class four or excuse me, class three mound body. Sure. Um, what are the differences between pediatric and adult uh, physiology and anatomy as it relates to anesthesia? Glad her shoes doing a good job. Yeah. So uh, when it comes to the upper... upper <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to the upper airway uh, differences, um, pediatric patients tend to have smaller noses. Um, they have um, larger tongues, uh, kind of a floppier epiglottis and larger epiglottis, uh, larger tonsils and adenoids. Uh, when it comes to the lower airway, they uh, they have more of a funnel-shaped airway rather than a parallel-walled airway, with the cricoid being the narrowest portion. Um, and then they have... Uh, Flatter ribs, uh, more diaphragmatic breathing, um, poor accessory muscle uh, development. Very good. Um, would you do this procedure in the office? Considering the patient's obesity and his Down syndrome, I would. Uh, I don't know exactly how developmentally delayed he is or how cooperative he would be. I would tend to err more on the side of doing this in the OR. Sure. Um, so you take the patient to the OR for extraction of uh, four teeth. Um, and midway through the procedure, everything's going well, but you observe this, uh, on his EKG, um, the machine isn't adequately calculating the heart rate, but, um, this is, this might require somebody else's help besides Albana. Um, <laughs> oh, no, I see it. I see it. You're good. Um, good thing about St. Louis is there's no, there's no traffic. So, um, to me, this looks like sinus bradycardia. <laughs> Uh, what's, what's the neat little math trick you can do to calculate the heart rate? Oh man, I know it has to do about the squares, but I don't know off the top of my head. Anybody? It's been a minute. Yeah. That's what I want to know. Count the boxes, divide 300 by number of boxes, big boxes. Cool. Um, so, uh, assuming the patient, uh, has this heart rate. Um, and your calculation is correct. Uh, let, let's say the patient, the patient's extremities are also appearing, uh, not, not good cap refill. Cap refill is greater than like five seconds. Okay. What would you do at this point? Um, the so anesthesiologist, the, it's just a CRNA there. You, you have basically no help. Okay. Um, I'm assuming patients intubated and all that, like they're under full general anesthesia. Is that correct? I'm uh, halfway through the procedure you said? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So, I mean, typically I would kind of enter the ACLS, um, 
uh, bradycardia algorithm and I would uh, give this patient some atropine. Sure. Um, assuming he's hypotensive and appearing unstable, uh, would you just limit his treatment to atropine? Uh, I'd give IV fluids as well to uh, resuscitate him. And then uh, probably if he's both bradycardic and hypotensive, I would then not just give atropine, I would give ephedrine instead. Would you do CPR? I would. Uh, yes. <laughs> so uh, you initiate yes. CPR uh, because the patient is a child and uh, they're uh -huh. bradycardic uh, mm -hmm. and a hypotensive and uh, yes. stable. So you keep going. Um, miraculously, the kid comes to uh, the operation mm -hmm. has already finished with your, your procedure is already finished without a hitch. The parents are asking now about post-op pain control. Any medications you're going to avoid in a child? My go-tos for children is, are typically like ibuprofen and Tylenol. I feel like they do very well with that. Um, and very rarely do, do pediatric patients require anything stronger like a narcotic. Um, so those would just be my, my two go-tos. Which ones would you avoid? Um... I mean, I would avoid the narcotic. Uh, what about Tylenol 3? I would also avoid Tylenol 3. I would just do regular Tylenol instead of Tylenol 3. Sure. Uh, so that patient uh, goes, your next patient of the day is an infant female uh, who has this going on. Um, mm -hmm. Your, your uh, patient's parents uh, want to know, um, hey, Doc, how, how common is this? Uh, so cleft lip, uh, typically I, I believe it's one in 10,000, if I'm not mistaken. Sure. Is it more common in males? Or it's typically more common in males and, uh, usually on the left side of the lip, uh, and a unilateral cleft. Sure. What about an isolated cleft palate? So isolated cleft palates are typically more common in females. Um, and about 50% of the time, those tend to be associated with some type of syndrome. Sure. Any populations it's more common in? Um, so Native Americans are typically the most common, followed by Asian, uh, Caucasian, and then African Americans last. Sure. Uh, the parents want to know, they say, hey, doc, what's the chance of our next baby having a cleft lip? So the next chance, uh, do the parents also have cleft lips or? No, they do not. Okay, so it's 4%. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm, I'm just laughing at the thought of a family of uh, cleft lip people. <laughs> You're the worst with Andrew and Louis Lance. That's something Zach Jones might get a laugh at, too, if he was here. Um, here. Family, family of hair lips. <laughs> the hair lip, yep. Uh, so uh, what's Pierre Roban sequence? Uh, so, oh shit. Um, <laughs> sorry. It's a series of, I want to say it's de novo mutations. Uh, I don't know the exact like genetic background to it off the top of my head right now. I'm still kind of working on that, but essentially what it, uh, what happens is that, uh, these patients tend to have mandibular, mandibular, mandibular hypoplasia, um, uh, 
large tongues and um, I'm blanking. There's like three characteristics of parabin, but um, anyway. What's, what's the management like of this current condition when the infant is born? Um, so typically depending on the severity of their um, mandibular hypoplasia and how much they're obstructing, um, so either I'm sorry, uh, not Pierre Robin sequence that, oh. that you're dealing with this current patient that we're looking at. Oh, I'm sorry. The, uh, I don't see anything on the screen. Oh. The cleft lip. Yeah. Yeah. The cleft lip. Okay. The cleft lip and palate here. So what's the man showing here? No, I don't see anything at all. Let me see. Maybe that's just me, but you're saying like at this moment, there it is. Okay. So like when they're infants, like right now. Uh, yeah, this this current uh, cleft lip and palate. Okay, so the first sequence when it comes to cleft lip and palate is to do um, do the uh, lip reconstruction procedure. Uh, that typically doesn't happen until the patient um, is the rule rule of ten. So you have a hemoglobin of ten. They're ten weeks old minimum, and they're over ten pounds. What about when the infant is immediately born? Uh, when they're immediately born, typically. Um, you can do a little bit of like lip taping um, to help out with feeding. And that's, that's really about it. Otherwise it's uh, just special bottles to help with feeding. Sure. Um, I'm not going to make you draw out how to repair a, a cleft lip right now. Uh, when is the, <laughs> when is the palate repaired? Uh, the palate is typically repaired between uh, nine to 15 months. Sure. Um, what other teams are involved in this patient's treatment? Yeah, there's quite a few. So um, there's OMFS, um, facial plastics, ENT, pediatric uh, dentistry, orthodontics. Uh, I understand. Uh, so how, how would VPI uh, be evaluated and addressed? Um, so VPI is something that's typically uh, not evaluated until after the um, if the patient has a cleft palate, but until after the cleft palate is, uh, the initial procedure is closed. So typically around, I think one and a half to two years old, when the patients start talking is typically when, um, uh, when they can assess this. Uh, and what they typically look for is wall movement when the patients are phonating. I understand. So when would you perform, uh, let, let's say the patient is now, uh, five years old. When would you perform, uh, maxillary alveolar cleft grafting? Um, so typically you want to wait until the canine root is about two thirds of the way formed, um, but before it erupts into the alveolar cleft. Um, so usually that's around the age of eight to nine. Sure. Um, anything, let's say you're at that stage now, um, anything you'd want the orthodontist to do beforehand? Uh, so the main thing I wouldn't want the orthodontist to do is to upright um, any of the teeth that are adjacent to the cleft because then that would potentially push the roots into the cleft site where there would be no bone. Is there anything um, orthodontist can do to help you uh, in your uh, graft yeah, can, procedure? Um, so they can put brackets on and then just do a little bit of expansion with an RPE, rapid palatal expander, just maintain uh, that width. So you're at that point where you're doing the, the clefting procedure. Where are you planning on getting bone from? Um, in these patients, the gold standard is autogenous bone from the hip. Hmm. Is there anything unique about the iliac crest in kids? Uh, yes. They're, if they're less than 12 years old, there's usually a cartilaginous cap on top of the uh, iliac crest. Sure. Um, 
what are the goals in your repair of the uh, cleft? Um, the primary goals for cleft repair are to get uh, bony bridging or bony union between the lesser segment and the greater segment, and then to also have uh, root coverage of uh, any of the adjacent teeth that are in that cleft. Um, is there any consideration you're giving to uh, uh, the nasal mucosa? Yeah, and I'm sorry. Uh, Sorry, my mom's calling. I'm like trying to do three things. Drive, answer my, my mom and look at, and think about this case. Um, sorry, yeah. Also, you want your, your nasal mucosa. You want to do two-layer closure of your nasal mucosa. So um, uh, so close your nasal mucosa and then put the alveolar bone graft as a sandwich graft in between uh, the nasal mucosa and the oral mucosa so that you have uh, your three layers um, established sure. at that time. Um, since you're already driving and talking to your mom, I'm not going to make you outline your incision and flaps here um let's keep going and say you're having uh tension free uh, you're having trouble getting uh, tension free and watertight closure of your cleft mm -hmm. uh, what are some steps you can take at this point um you can do some like local rotational flaps uh like a finger island flap from the palate to try to uh, close things over um but just you're just having like when you're closing your cleft, you're just having trouble uh, having it closed, tension-free and watertight. Uh, what would you do? Mm, I don't know. Probably just remove some bone and try to maybe I overpacked it and then uh, try to close it that way. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, that's that's the end of that case. Okay. Albana doing that nice. in all the three things right there. <laughs> Sorry, I just uh yeah turned it. That was good. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> All right, cool. I know I messed up some things, so let's debrief. <laughs> well, it, I mean, that was a uh I think that was a full 12 minutes. We started we started at 7:36, I think. Uh -huh. Um almost 20 actually. Anyway, um what do we have first? We had a 9-year-old with down syndrome and obesity. That's right. Um Let's see. I asked you about the classes of obesity. Uh, well, first of all, you got the Down syndrome question right. It's trisomy 21. Uh, they have all the fe facial features you described, uh, sometimes behavioral or cognitive difficulties, um, sometimes some prognathism, um, and a lot of times it's associated with weight gain. Um, BMI for kids is measured slightly different than it is for adults, but in general, um, BMI is divided into these classes that you can see here. Mm -hmm. um, greater than greater than 40 BMI is considered morbid. Um, <laughs> evaluating the patient for anesthesia, um, you did a good job with that. Like it, it should just roll off the tongue, which it, it was with you. Um, mm -hmm. You're going through, you know, heart oscillating heart and lung sounds, uh, you know, past medical, surgical, social allergies, all that. Um, Digging into malampati, uh, thyromental distance, uh, opening, um, and looking at their larynx trachea. Uh, the difference between pediatric and adult physiology and anatomy that also rolled right off the tongue. That's awesome because that's a that's a dependable little sound bite there. Um, this this slide sort of uh, depicts some of that. Um, mm -hmm. Although you may have different words, I know. Uh, Zach Jones is very particular about the words he likes to use. Um, 
the like you know cephalad and cephalad maybe, maybe isn't the term we all enjoy but uh cardiac output is more heart rate dependent they have a lower functional residual capacity and uh all the all the other anatomical things you talked about as well bigger tongue. totally blanked on that like i knew that and i like 1000 percent just blanked on it i was like what are you talking about and then i was like uh yeah i guess you would do cpr yes <laughs> but like- well yeah the, the so you got the malampati score right uh you chose not to do the procedure in the office which i think is totally fair given uh that this patient has down syndrome is obese and has a malampati three uh then we went into the rhythm of sinus bradycardia now um, you can calculate the heart rate quickly if you get an EKG printout like this by exactly what Greg said, uh, dividing 300 by the number of big boxes you see. So this one would be like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, um, about 40, like give or take a few. Um, the bradycardia algorithm is, this might be a little hard to read on the phone, so I don't recommend it, but um, the difference between ACLS and PALS, uh, there's not too many. Uh, you know, except in doses of medication and um, in your treatment of bradycardia. In the treatment of bradycardia, if there's any sign of instability, um, you're you're going to initiate CPR. Um, yes, I have to review this. I've yeah. been focusing on ACLS, but not PALS. So I need to, this, this is a good. I know. And yeah. the, the ACLS and PALS, they're just high yield stuff. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's stuff that's right there. Um, it may it may warrant a review right before the exam just to you know remind yourself of the doses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, what else did we have here? Um, uh, what did we go into after that? Uh, post-op pain control. Um, I was trying to just put you towards like avoiding giving codeine um, or you know Tylenol three in uh, kids. Um, you got that. And then we moved on to, where did we go from there? Cleft palate, cleft lip, mm-hmm. cleft palate. Yep. Um, so this is a left-sided cleft lip and palate. It's more common on the left side. Um, let me dig into my notes here. Um, it is more common in males, or cleft lip is more common in males. Yeah, it has an incidence of about one in a thousand, just isolated cleft lip. Uh, it's more common in Asians, um, in Asian populations, more common in males and females, more common in left side than right side. Um, the cleft palate alone is more common in females than males. Uh, the palate does close later, uh, one week later in females. Um, we went into chance of my next baby having a cleft lip. I actually forgot the answer to this. I, I think it's around two or four percent. If anybody has it, it was four. I think Obama was right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's four. Um, Pierre Robin sequence, uh, yes, is um, a sequence uh, caused by first mandibular hypoplasia causing uh, elevated tongue. And when the tongue is elevated, it prevents fusion of the palatal shelves. So it's a, it, it is a sequence. Um, and then you have failure of the palatal shelves and uh, separate from the syndrome, correct? Like there's correct the syndrome, which is 
you know, what we think of. And then the sequence is a like separate retrognathia with similar features. Yes. Yes. I think this, now that I'm remembering, like the sequence is more common and like associated with other syndromes, you know, like Trucher Collins mm-hmm. or like Roussans or something. They have like, you know, I don't know, like whatever, like I no, not, those are not the ones, but you know, what I'm talking about like there's mm-hmm. other syndromes associated with the Pierrobin sequence. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, we we kind of get out in the weeds once we start talking about syndromes. There's other things like Vanderwood um, that has lip pitting sticklers, which has uh, yeah. uh, ocular and uh, retinal involvement, possibly. Um, what else do we have sometimes? Um, yeah, that's about all I know for now. Um, and then we go into management when the uh, infant is born. Um, starts out with lip taping with the goal of just making sure that feeding and nutrition, uh, are taken care of. Um, there may be some airway problems, but, um, you, I think you, you address those on a, as needed basis. Um, but feeding and nutrition are pretty, uh, common needs for cleft lip and palate patients. They have difficulty in creating negative pressure. Um, so lip taping sometimes just, or they could, uh, (laughs) Uh, sometimes they can, uh, make a, uh, a modified, uh, bottle or nipple or something. Um, your, your answer of, uh, the rule of tens for repair of the cleft lip, uh, 10 weeks, 10 pounds, hemoglobin of 10. Uh, that's all a fair thing. Um, I'm, I, I think it's a little, uh, extreme to describe, you know, your technique for closing a cleft lip like millards or whatever you want, but, um, it, it might be worth, you know, I, I think if they pushed you into something like that, you're doing pretty well in the exam. Um, it might be worth just reviewing what that looks like once, but, um, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I don't uh, know. It seems I wrote it all down, but I was just like, uh, seems very like <laughs> detailed. I know. I know. It's a different thing to actually vocalize like, stuff it's like literally a subspecialty of our specialty so yeah, like yeah. you know <laughs> yeah um what else do we have here uh the lip is re- when the lip is repaired when the palate is repaired um it's repaired when they're starting to uh just starting to phonate or, or, i'm sorry nine to 18 months the uh uh vpi is is addressed when they're um uh starting to phonate around two to three years old um, there's a, you know, debate about the one stage versus two stage, but, um, just go with something, um, whatever you're, more, whatever you're more familiar with describing. Um, I don't think you have to know the different techniques, but Hey, it could help to have some peripheral knowledge of that. The Von Longenbeck and Cordell Kilner, uh, pharyngeal flap, uh, you described that just fine. Um, a superiorly based pharyngeal flap. Um, then we get on to the, uh, maxillary cleft, uh, grafting, which is done between six and nine years based on the dental development, as you said, um, before eruption of the permanent canine or lateral, um, as you said, the goals are stabilizing the alveolar segments, closing the, uh, nasal mucosa and making sure there's adequate bone for, uh, the teeth that are about to erupt in the aesthetic zone and have a normal alar base. Um, 
the orthodontist can often expand the cleft for you. Um, so, you know, uh, you can sort of overpack it a little bit and, and get adequate grafting. Um, that's, a you know, sometimes a matter of preference. I know some people uh, disagree with that. Um, and then what else? you were, right. You were talking about like the back cut, uh, if you couldn't get primary closure, like at the molar area and advance yeah. the flap and let that granulate posteriorly. Is that what you were talking about? Yeah, I, I was, I was kind of pushing <clears throat> towards some of that, like removing bone is obviously the first thing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do like that kind of back up, like the vertical release, you mean yeah. back there and just, you know, hauling all that gingiva forward. Mm -hmm. Um, that'd be a, a good thing. Yeah. Um, you know, you can assess, uh, there, there's a few different questions, I guess. Like this is just a small section, I think like cleft, I think it's one of the fast topics, but you, it's um, one of those ones you might not even get, I think. Right. Right. Oh yeah. That, completely. You, you, you may not get it. You may not get it. Um, helps to know, but can't you get this as an orthognathic case too? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like a cleftnathic. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Yeah. It's possible. Okay. Uh, besides that, like making, how do you make sure your, your nasal mucosa is closed? You can, you know, squirt saline, you can probe it with a, with an explorer, all that. Anyway, uh, the iliac crest, uh, is an appropriate graft. Um, iliac crest in kids has a cartilaginous cap up to age. I don't know. What is, uh, what does everybody like? 13, 12, um, and then uh, that was about it. Who's up next? Oh, no. Sorry, multitasking. Wait, so did I like, based off my answers, did I like quote unquote pass that section? Like, is that yeah, yeah, enough? Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. Just wondering. Like, like it, though, it, my feeling is they'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Okay. They only have 12 minutes to assess this. They're not going to be like, oh, you know, they, you know she didn't. Yeah. <laughs> know every single detail about everything basically yeah yeah <laughs> they, okay. they, they realize not everybody's trained the same not everybody does the same thing on a daily basis mm -hmm. just with the okay. with the facial features of the downs i would say that i think it's more the eyes are more epicanthal folds like prominent ones rather than uh downward you know anti-mongoloid yeah i think that's a good point too and to look at that again oh yeah this is this is juicy i might i might even confuse myself Um, okay. So we're going to have to agree to go through this as a group because I don't have the best handle on it either, but, um, <clears throat> let's see what we can make out of it. I'm going to share my screen again. Okay. So you got a 57 year old woman, uh, who comes to you like this complaining of pain, uh, recurrent ulcerations and, uh, looking like this, what do you want to know? Do I can just start it. Um, so I guess history of present illness. So when did it, like, when did she first notice it? Uh, she's had this going on for a couple of weeks now. Uh, it's just, at, at least this episode for a couple of weeks. Uh, it sort of goes on and on 
like this for, I don't know, eight months back. Oh, so she's, she's had, it's like come and gone for eight months. Yep. Yep. And it's painful. Very painful. Are there any tests uh, you can do to uh, see what kind of entity this is on your physical? Well, like a Nikolsky test? Yeah. What is a Nikolsky's test? So you would, you know, kind of put pressure in the area to see if you can get, if you get any sloughing of the tissue. Um, and that can kind of help you or point you in the direction of what type of um, disease it could be. So if it were lichen planus or pem, <laughs> what are you what? doing? What's on your different? <laughs> oh, no, you're just like Googling stuff. <laughs> um so if well my differential would be like in planus uh it could just be like ulceration um it could also be um the other autoimmune disease so pemphigus vulgaris or pemphigoid sure um it could also be sorry it could also be herpes okay um what's the what's the difference between pemphigus and pemphigoid so pemphigoid is, um, it's a lesion where, or it's an autoimmune disease where antibodies, is it IgG and ID, Ig3 that target hemidesmosomes? Um, and then pemphigus vulgaris is the same antibodies that target um Desmosomes. So you would see on histology for pemphigoid uh, a subbasilar split, um, whereas for pemphigus it would be intraepithelial. So if you saw something like, well, if you saw something, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> if you saw something like this, what would you be thinking? <sighs> Well, so I think I see the basement membrane at the at the bottom. It's hard to say if it's like under. I would say this is intraepithelial, so this is probably, or I, know, I shouldn't say probably on the boards, but this is um, pemphigoid. Um, I'm sorry, sorry, pemphigus. Sorry, um, pemphigus. <laughs> so, <laughs> what are the different types of pemphigus? Are there different types? Not that I. Pemphigoid. Pemphigus vulgar. Yeah, there's different types of pemphigoid. There's like cicatricial. What is what is perineoplastic pemphigus? Perineoplastic pemphigus. Is that so? That is related to another neoplasm in the body. So but I honestly don't. Would that know. be, like, would that be different it. from regular pemphigus? I don't know. Um, <clears throat> so let's say uh, this patient is actually in your chair right now. Um, what, how would you treat her? Let's well, say I would, she, I would she is, is looking very feeble. Uh, she has a blood pressure of 80 <laughs> over 50. She says, Doc, I haven't eaten anything in weeks. Uh, I've only been able to maybe drink a little bit of water, but I feel awful right now. Um, 
So can we just go through her medical history? Uh, yeah, she can't give it to you at this time. <laughs> what? She, she can't talk anymore. Yes. She's, she's feeling very faint. You want to treat her without knowing anything about her? <laughs> she, she, <laughs> what are you going to do? I would definitely, well, I want to, I need to know, can she tell me anything like her medications, any hospitalizations, any surgery? She, she's on some blood pressure medication, no surgeries, no allergies. Uh, okay, you know, how old is she? She's like, 57. 57. And her blood pressure is now 75 over 45. Also 50. She doesn't look good. So I sounds like she needs some fluids. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, like, no, I mean, I would place an IV and then give her some fluids, but we also need, I would like to know more information. But otherwise, um, I would place monitors and see what's going on. Sure. So, uh, aside um, from, you know, her blood one pressure. of your, one of your staff is asking if it's appropriate to, send her to the hospital her what's her blood pressure 70 over 50 mm -hmm. even less now i mean so she's very hypotensive what's her heart rate uh, 45 um is she what what does her ekg show mm. sinus bradycardia occasional pvcs but she doesn't she doesn't look well. She hasn't been she hasn't had food in weeks. Okay, so I would probably give her um I would do a finger a finger stick for glucose. Yeah, it's like 10. Okay, so I would give her D50. I would do a bolus um and then um have it running. Given that she so she sort of recovers a little bit, but given that she has really poor nutrition um and she has very almost no oral intake over the past two weeks um uh, she elects to go to the hospital um so you go to the hospital um they bring her back nutritionally how are you going to treat her uh pemphigus she so you know it's no. i'm sorry so you know it is pemphigus yeah Okay, so I would um, prescribe her steroids. <laughs> yep. Um, so <clears throat> let's go to this. Your next patient of the day, um, or another bit, you've now uh, become known as the, the uh, oral dermatologist in your town. And so you get another referral. This is your next patient. Um, what's on your differential here? Can you describe what you see? Uh, so I see like a targetoid um, lesion on the skin with a, it's like a bullseye lesion. Um, so like a ring, a ring of erythema around a, a small mm -hmm. ulcerated lesion. Yeah. Um, what entity... Uh, would you say this patient has right now? What what disease? Ooh, I would say it's pemphigoid, but uh, it's so. It's, I mean, it's a uh, secret 
Pemphigoid. Given that you said pemphigoid, are there any uh, uh, other uh, things on his face you can look at? Like, it, does it have any uh, other involvement of other organs? Pemphigoid? It huh? well, so it different. It depends on what types there are. Um. So you have like bullous pemphigoid. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have like cicatricial pemphigoid and bolus is the one that encompasses the oral one. So like mucous membrane pemphigoid. What is emblepheron? I don't know. M- you said emblepheron? Semblepheron. Oh, semblepheron. Oh, ocular. Blepheron. Yeah. yeah. So you can have, oh, yes, I do remember this. So you, you can have... um ocular manifestations of pemphigoid. Sure. Uh, this patient doesn't have pemphigoid, but um, the, the, um, the doctor in charge of his care says he has erythema multiform. Um, mm-hmm. What is treatment like for erythema multiform? <clears throat> so it, erythema multiform is, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's a type four hypersensitivity. Um, what is it? What is it called when uh, this condition turns severe? Stephen Stephen Johnson syndrome ah. or toxic. It could also be toxic epidermal uh, ten syndrome. Yeah. Uh, so we get to this. Um, can you describe what you see here in in these couple pictures, or is this too small? Yeah. I see a um, an area of leukoplakia surrounded by erythema on the left posterior palate. Um, it looks non-raised. I don't really know what you're trying having me point at in the anterior picture, but it looks like yeah, anterior so, picture right around the lingual frenum there, the the, the lingual frenum. Simil- Sorry. Yeah, similar. You see the similar. Um, yeah. <laughs> area of like leukoplakia with just surrounding erythema. Um, what would your what would your physical exam look like for examining this? My physical exam. So I would palpate the lesions. Um, I would see if they incite any pain in the area. I would see if there's any again the Nikolsky sign. Um, negative neuropathies. Um, it doesn't slough or anything like that. Um, what would be on your your differential if it were just sort of? Uh, I'm sorry. Is it painful? Uh, yeah, they're in they're enlarged ulcers. They're sort of uh, inflamed. Yeah. I just. I mean, how long have these things? Is this an is this an incidental finding or is the patient symptomatic? No, this is the patient came in for this. They're they're a little painful. They've been there for a number of months. Uh, they don't really wax or wane. Uh, they they um they've they've just been there. And I know that's vague, but and you're saying it's negative, Nikolsky. Yeah. Um. Any, this is a different patient, I'm assuming. So any yeah. medical conditions? Um, 
yeah, he's had he's he's been quite promiscuous uh, in the in the past few months. Here's <laughs> his whole life. Um. <laughs> anyway, at the top, of my differential is still so if it's negative Nikolsky. I would say it's pemphigoid. Um, it could also just be aphthous ulcers. Mm-hmm. Um, is there any anything bacterial? It could be uh, syphilis. Um, yeah, uh, that's about all I got for you. <laughs> that's that's the case. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> I mean, that, that was really good for you know for mucous membrane diseases. It's a pretty obscure area. Um, let me go back through it though. And you guys correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, this first one, I just searched an image of Pemphigus. Um, I don't remember whether it was in our study group or in Nashville, whether somebody pulled up a picture almost exactly like this and, uh, ran it. It basically had the patient come in, uh, super in pain uh, poor nutrition status just because they've had oral ulcers forever. Um, and it, it ended up, it was, um, pemphigoid and, or I'm sorry, pemphigus. And the patient was horribly unstable. And basically it was the, like whoever was examining was pushing us to take them to the hospital, get them nutrition and start, you know, corticosteroids. It's, it's kind of funny that for such a severe and uh, intimidating case. Like the treatment is just steroids. Like it's kind of funny. I actually have a question for everyone. So some, I feel like, you know, in, in residency, I learned that Pemphigus was positive Nikolsky and Pemphigoid was negative, but it actually is, they kind of are both positive. Like, I don't know what everyone else thinks about that based on the literature. Um, I, I thought pemphigoid was positive because it had autoantibodies to the basement membrane. Therefore, it would lift up off the basement membrane, but the intraepithelial cells were intact. So like in my mind, pemphigus sort of like breaks down and you get these ulcers, but pemphigoid, you get these like blisters. I, I but oh. I, and I don't know if I've, I don't know if I've seen either of these in practice. Oh. I don't know. I just, I just remember like in reading through everything that, um, Nikolsky's sign doesn't seem like a very sensitive test for figuring out what the, yeah. it is a vesicular. Yeah. I mean, it's basically a, a immunofluorescence. It's going to be your definitive diagnosis. Yeah. Okay. That's what I figured. Yeah. So I think that's where, what did I pull up here? Yeah. I pulled up the chicken wire pattern. Um, for do, you, do, you know what, do you know what else you could give that patient other than steroids? What was the diagnosis? Pemphigus. I actually, I actually don't either. I feel like it would just be like some type of like biologic, like IV immunoglobulin. I don't know, actually. IVIgg is a treatment, but that's not what I was going at. Uh, I don't know. 
So Dapsone is one. Like an antibiotic? Dapsone is like a, it's like an anti-inflammatory. It's almost like a biologic, but it's, it acts kind of like. Isn't Dapsone like a, it's a sulfa antibiotic? No, am I getting that wrong? I didn't know that, Colin. I didn't know that. I think it's both. Yeah, it's an antibiotic anti-inflammatory. Yeah. Oh, it isn't. Yeah, I was gonna say. I thought it was. It is a sulfa drug. It's a sulfa antibiotic. Um, but yeah, I guess it's pretty good. Good to know. Good that. to know. Can you use that for pemphigus as well? Yeah. Okay. So the only thing is that with with the with this this is gonna be um, desmosomes, not hemidesmosomes, right? Pemphigus. Yeah, it's gonna go <laughs> immunofluorescence. I mean, desmosomes is basement membrane. Yeah, yeah. This is showing immunofluorescence, IgG, IgM, C3 in the intercellular spaces. The Does desmosomes. anyone know other subbasilar um, splits diseases? Mm. <laughs> like, yeah. like, well, in the in the oral cavity. Yeah. Oh, you say it was good pasture syndrome? I don't know. <laughs> good pasture. <laughs> Linear IgA mm-hmm. and epidermolysis bullosa. You can get it. That's in the Nashville notes. I just got that chart. That, that, yeah, that, that's a very deep pull. That's yeah. a very deep pull. I'm like, I literally, like, I just like, like blew over it. I was like, uh, no. <laughs> I, I don't remember the last time I've seen those terms. Yeah, I'm really hoping that that's not the line of question. <laughs> There's no way. I, 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 Great, you got the diagnosis, but it's not that. <laughs> Without... Well, the other, I should preface this entire thing by like, I don't think they're, they don't just let you hang in dead air. Like, there's never a time when you're allowed to just sit and. Yeah, they'll just move on, you mean? Sit. Yeah, they're they're not going to let you sit for more than a couple seconds. Um, but it's, I, think, it's I mean, either, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, it's either you know it or you don't. Um, yeah, they're they're trying to earn you the points. It's it's a. I mean, unless you you get a someone who's acting really unfairly, but I I don't think that's that's the case here. Um, anyway, chicken wire pattern. That's pretty pathognomonic with with pemphigus. I think um, perineoplastic pemphigus is just pemphigus in uh, in association with the malignancy. Um, I think the trigger is the tumor cells, yeah, and it leads to the yeah. antibody formation. Yeah. Um, and then we could like just based off this case explain pemphigoid. You're totally right about the subtypes gene, the mucosal membrane pemphigoid. And then there's bullous and cicatricial pemphigoid. Um, oh yeah, but I do remember that's a big thing. You get like symbol pharon with um, pemphigoid. Oh, the is a big thing. Yeah, the the conjunctival scarring symblepharon yeah. uh, yeah. happens with pemphigoid, mm-hmm. and you get a linear deposition along the basement membrane of the IgG P3. Um, it happens a lot of time with medications pemphigoid does um again i i'm i'm remembering some case that was 
that was presented somewhere where this person was taking uh, lisinopril or something like that and just kicked this off. Um, but then we went to, what did we do? Ah, yeah, the targetoid lesions. Um, you got this right. Um, erythema multiform. Um, there's, I think you'd also get targetoid lesions with Lyme disease too, but um, it's usually just in that. Not solitary for yeah. Lyme disease. It's a solitary thing. Just like one lesion. That's the um, ticks you got bit by. <laughs> Dude, that'd be disgusting. <laughs> like rolling a pile of ticks. You'd be dead. <laughs> Living with the deer. Um. Uh, it's associated. So erythema multiform is a. Um, it's different from erythema migrans, which is just burning of the tongue. Um, erythema multiform is associated with. I think HSV in quite a few cases. Well, in the mild form, because it's mild, moderate, and severe, I think mild is more um, just like uh, drug reactions. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, the severe, I thought the severe form was associated. Sorry, with, sorry. Uh, I think Stephen Johnson's, the middle one, is actually. Yeah, that one's associated with like medications, reaction. What medications are associated with it? I forget. I don't, I don't. I think it's very deep pulled to know this. It's not high yield. With the, with the cult antibiotics. Um, with the colchicine. Oh, okay. Colchicine. Yes, is the ones of uh, medication yeah, yeah. and more effect in the patient with the Steven Johnson uh, on the uh, uh, multiform erythema. Ah, okay. Learning something every day. I I I didn't know that either. Yeah, for gout treatment. Gout treatment. Amoxicillin can do it too. Really? Yeah, Damn. check out Hippocrates, man. I didn't know that. Um, there's some psoriasis medications too that do it. Um, anyway, where did we go from here? Um, treatment. Um, observation, antibiotics, and antivirals if it's HSV-related. Um, besides that, let's see, I threw up a picture here of syphilis, just oral syphilis. Um, I think also on the differential, exactly like you said, could be just aphthous ulcers. Um, uh, what else would you put on the differential, Colin? Ulcerative lycopenis. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe like a Tugsy. Like in Planet. Yeah. Ooh, um, yeah, and I'm not too familiar with with uh, syphilis, but... Yeah. Um, Looks like there's some fellatio going on there. Could <laughs> <laughs> be fungal, I mean. You know. <laughs> yeah, fungal. I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, this... Uh, Could be... Uh, an acid burn from like a, you know, yeah, aspirin. It, it, it's funny. Yeah, like aspirin, that's true. Bacterial, viral, um, drug-induced, fungal, um, and then non-infectious causes, which include like all the mucous membrane stuff. Um, 
syphilis, it's usually, I mean, if it's manifesting orally, you've probably got very severe uh, syphilis, um, especially like this. Uh, I think at first you just get like whitish plaques. Um, and then you start moving into like more and more severe stuff like there's and uh, I know the word gamma is somewhere in there, but I don't know exactly what that means. I think it's like granuloma or something like that. Anyway, this is a, a section to defer to Zach Jones for the presentation of. This is just encyclopedia shit is what I mean. Um, besides that, though, I don't have too much, guys. I think we already had a fungal case earlier in the uh, earlier in these sessions. Oh, really? That might have been before I came on. And maybe it was. I, I think it was a I presented a early path one. Yeah, I think I presented. <laughs> I presented a mucor that was in the posterior maxilla and moved up and we ended up doing a, uh, I don't know. I think I pushed, yes. I pushed somebody towards Weber Ferguson and something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Zach Jones is interested now. No, I don't want any part of that. <laughs> yes, you do. You better know how to fucking do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that's about it. I mucosal diseases, I I think as a whole are a, uh, a a pretty far stretch. Um, so maybe just doing a a preliminary pass at this, um, and reviewing a little is good enough. Yeah, you, you're certainly not like it. It's not a live and die section. Although, like pathology like pathology is so broad like it's an entire section but you only get 12 minutes for it they they can't they can't go too deep into everything here but if you get if you get pegged with a well if you get pegged with a mucosal case then no i guess you're screwed but fingers crossed you guys don't ryan during the pathology 12 minutes they're going through like can go through like four or five pathologies, right? Yeah, in any section, they can pull up multiple cases that are related to the subject. Like I've, I've tried to steer away from like directly discussing questions and answers and, you know, that are directly on the exam because I think they make you sign a thing that says like, well, you know, don't do that or we'll, we'll shred your certificate. But um, yeah, they, they talking about the format of the exam is fine and they, they can uh, pull you through multiple cases in a in a section. Um, so, uh, you know, in in path, it's a little tough to go through multiple things. Um, it's to go through like too many things. Like the, if you think about it, if they give you multiple different cases, they can't go deep into each one. So, will, like, will they go into like? reconstruction on a path case no well, there's a reconstruction section so i don't but, think they'd go too deep into it oh, okay. they, they might they might ask you like how to access it and how to remove it and what your margin should be mm -hmm. uh, but i think that's a pretty standard blueprint for any any path like i on the on the 
like my soundbite for path, uh, like any, any pathology entity was, what is it in one to two sentences? Like you could take a, I don't know, mixoma. Okay. It's a, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a mesenchymal tumor that, uh, arises from primordial cells and, you know, then you go into, uh, maybe where it originates from, like, again, just, uh, epithelial and mesenchymal cells, uh, with the head, neck, face, and jaws. Um, and then you go into, okay, how do you diagnose? Like, well, incisional biopsy or excisional biopsy, but knowing it's a myxoma, that's not definitive. And then how you treat it definitively. And then in, within your treatment is like what the margins are. So like with pathology, just know that basic blueprint and you'll probably be good. Oh, recurrence rate. That's also a fair little stat to know. Uh, again, you probably won't, it's, it might not be the most crucial thing, but Hey, it's a, if you can earn those points, then take them, um, recurrence rate. And then like, there's an entire reconstruction section. So you don't have to, they're not going to blend everything together. Kind of like we are here. Um, I think it's good practice to blend everything together because that's how it goes in real life. But um, on the exam, they, they separated it out pretty well. All right, guys. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah. Thank Have you. Bye. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye. Yeah. I got to sharpen my swords for the oral boards. I learned them from Mattel and he's the Lord. And I'm his protege. You know I'm going to slay all these motherfucking questions today. Because I got the sound bites. They're going to make these old men go, ooh, ah, like some afternoon delight. Yo, I got these questions in my sight and I got the answers. Yo, my answers is so ill, they give you cake the That's a wrap on another week of Fight Club. If you'd like to participate in the study club or you'd like to submit a case, shoot me an email, drpatel, as in D-R-P-A-T-E-L, at bondoralsurgery.com. Like, follow, or click subscribe to get updates and material. If you found this valuable and would like to support us, please head to our website to contribute. Bond is committed to creating value for the dental community and making healthcare healthier. As little as $499 gets you the Soundbites pack, a proven method designed to help you automate information during oral discussion. A full disclaimer, this podcast represents the opinions of the owner and participants. We discuss no questions or answers of the American Board of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery Oral Certifying Examination on this podcast. The express purpose of this course is to provide continuing education in the field of oral and maxillofacial surgery for those in attendance. This course is neither approved, recommended, nor endorsed by the American Board of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery. It is not and should not be construed as an official guide in the preparation for any American Board of Oral and Maxillofacial Surgery certifying examination. In addition, this course does not guarantee that the participant will pass any examination administered by any regulating body. The use of this podcast and the materials linked to this podcast are at the user's own risk. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice, nor guidance of medicine, surgery, nursing, dentistry, or other health specialties.